This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. This week, we are starting a new series. Uh, We just ended our series last week, our 21 days of prayer and fasting called Unplug, and this week we start a new series entitled Love One Another. And um, I want to forewarn you, um, there is a lot of scripture in our uh, sermon today, in our message today, uh, that may sound strange to say there's going to be scripture in our message today, but there's just a lot of it. And so I just want you to be aware of that. Stick with us. I, I really do believe, uh, I, I want to say this, that if you'll stick with me, uh, I really believe that today will be a marking moment in your life. And uh, beyond that, I believe that it's a marking moment for us as a church. I think we'll look back on this day years from now and say that that was a moment for me personally and for us as a church. Okay, the very first passage we're going to look at is a very familiar passage in the Christian faith. It's known as the greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, and it says this, Teacher, the religious leaders are asking Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. This is the first and greatest uh, commandment. Jesus says, first and foremost, that if we're going to commit to a life pursuant of this gospel, in obedience with his word, we must first commit to loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, That entails the confession of sin, the recognition of our need for a savior, the belief that redemption is found in Jesus Christ and that he makes a way for us to have access to God the Father by assuming our sin, paying the penalty for that sin, and with that sacrifice, we can receive forgiveness. We can experience new life in Christ. Jesus said that he came that we could experience abundant, overcoming life. This this is the very crux of the Christian faith. Um, Now, we look at the second half of that text, Matthew 22, verse 39. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Just a couple thoughts on that portion uh, of the first two commandments. First, um, we won't get loving our neighbor right if we first don't love God right. Okay, very simple. Don't ever expect to be able to love others correctly, first and foremost, if you're not in correct relationship with God. Um, I I don't know about you, but when I think about the people in my life, I realize I'm going to need the love of God in my life to love some of those people. (laughs) Do you have any of those people in your life? Secondly, a thought on that is this. We won't get loving our neighbor right if we can't get loving ourselves right. So... Loving God, now loving yourself, this allows you. Jesus, in essence, is saying that our ability and capacity to to love others is contingent upon our ability and capacity to love ourselves. Um, Not in a prideful way. Remember, this was framed first with the command of loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, which requires humility and an an acceptance and admittance of our need for him. So, with humility being the filter through which we see ourselves, the way that we view others, the way that we treat others, the way that we love others is determined and dictated by the way that we view ourselves. 
If you don't love yourself in a healthy way through the lens of how God sees you, your ability to love others in a healthy way is very limited. Okay, think about this. What are the things that you've spoken over your own life? What have you told yourself about you? What, what lies have you believed that you've told yourself? Um, that will certainly influence the way you love others. That, this is why we hear that, that's that saying, hurt people hurt people. Why? Because people that are unhealthy, un, unhappy with their own reality find it difficult to be happy for someone else's reality. Um, whether that's driven by security or bitterness or fear or a past hurt or just flat out jealousy. It's that idea. I don't know if you've been around people like that. If I'm going down, I'm taking the whole ship with me. I'm not going down by myself, baby. I'm taking everyone. Have you ever been with that? And yet, as Christians... We understand, at least cognitively, we understand we're called to love those people. It's the very foundation upon what our Christian faith is expressed and how it's recognized. John chapter 13, listen to what he says here. A new command I give you, love one another. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by what? By you loving one another the way that Christ loved you. By that, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, Even the world recognizes or at least assumes that Christians should treat each other with a different level of respect and with a fuller understanding of the brokenness of humanity. That's why sometimes we don't want people to find out that we're actually a Christian because they expect us to live differently. Um, And yet, quite often... Christian relationships don't look that much different than our secular counterparts. That's because um, Christians are difficult to love too. (laughs) In reality, those people are having a difficult time loving themselves. Uh, There's just as much dishonesty and disrespect and deception, just as much slander and backbiting, just as much jealousy and bitterness, just as much pride and insecurity And then when you bring the God factor into the mix, it makes it a little messy. Complicates it. Causes our relationships to become more complex. How can people of the same faith, presumably adhering to the same doctrines of belief, treat each other so poorly? How is that possible? And this is the way that they'll know that we follow Jesus. By the way, that we love one another. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say, not what Devin has to say, what the Bible has to say about our relationships with one another, friend to friend, husband to wife, child to parent, very simply, human being to human being. Sometimes what we uh, know is required to experience real healthy relationship, we, we know it's going to require work. And sometimes our knee-jerk reaction is to say, maybe it would be better if I just isolate myself and convince ourselves that it's not worth it. And yet, deep in our hearts, we also know that relationship and connection and community and communion with one another is so greatly needed in our lives. That's where the rub comes in. And most often, what prevents us from pursuing relationship with other people is a previous hurt. Someone someone let us down. 
Someone mistreated us. Someone took advantage of us. And yes, those hurts, friend, are real. They're very real. They mark us. But we also can't allow those hurts and disappointments of our past to define and stunt our future. Look at the ultimate example here. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus, he's 12 years old at this point, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Look at this. Growing in wisdom. Okay, that's mental and emotional maturing as character is developed in your life. That's what growing in wisdom is. And growing in stature, that's physical, that's age and life experience. Those two things should lead to favor with God and man. Maturing people experience relational health with God and man. I want you to just look at this real quickly with me. That word favor, listen to what it means. Grace freely extended to give yourself away to people because you're always leaning towards them. You're always reaching to people because you're disposed to bless them. That's favor. Okay, think about this. So as character is developed in my life, which by the way is produced by suffering and perseverance, if you read uh, Romans chapter five, but if we gain more understanding due to life experience, we should be freely extending grace and giving ourselves away to people because we're always leaning towards them and we're disposed to blessing them. Think about that. That's favor with God and man. Proverbs chapter three, verse three. So let love and faithfulness never leave you, but instead bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Then, then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God. And man, some translations read love and truth. Bind love and truth. The wisest person that's ever lived says to inscribe these virtues on your heart. You write them on your own heart. And when you choose to live from a place of love and truth, then you will win favor and good name in the sight of God. And man, here's, here's, the, here's the problem. We don't live from a place of love and truth. We, we actually allow other people to write contradictory virtues on our heart. We allow other people space in our lives to write different things on our hearts than love and truth. The hurts, the lies. What beliefs have you allowed to be written on your heart? What label have you allowed to be written on your heart? What is it that's been written on the tablet of your heart that still has not been erased? What are you holding on to that's disallowed you to have favor with God and man? What are you allowing to stay written upon your heart? Bitterness, victim, unlovable. What lie have you believed and allowed to stay written upon your heart? What excuse have you used to justify leaving it there? Well, you don't, understand, you don't know. Who are you blaming? Who, who are you holding a grudge against? Who... Have you not forgiven? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our debts. How? As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus knew that included in our prayers on an ongoing basis, we were going to have to remind ourselves that our forgiveness, our ability to forgive was directly tied to the ability of how we've received forgiveness. The degree that we've forgiven our debtors is the degree that we can ask him for our forgiveness. Listen, do you think that, listen, if that wasn't strong enough, listen to what he says, just the next verse. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I don't know how much more clear it could be. Now, how easy is that? Uh, let, look, look, remember the, uh, the woman that came to Jesus? She washes his feet. She pours out this oil, this perfume on his feet a pricely perfume. The, the disciples, the Pharisees are upset thinking about the money they could have used to bless other people. What, Jesus, what does Jesus say about her? Luke chapter seven. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. This woman shows great love because her sins, her many sins have been forgiven. Is there anyone is there anyone here today that would say that they've been forgiven little? I think we would all readily admit that we've had many sins that have been forgiven which should lead to us showing great love. If anyone has the perspective that they've had little to be forgiven of, well first they have a pretty high view of themselves. Secondly, their ability to love is limited. Listen to what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive how? As the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love. You want to love one another? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Would those be words that people would use to describe you? Patient? How would your kids describe you? Patient? Kind? Compassionate? Listen, to bear one with one another. You know what that means? To be patient with each other's weaknesses. To be, to be patient with others' weaknesses. We would all readily admit that none of us is perfect and that we all fail, and yet we still have expectations of other people. Listen, unmet expectations can be the cause of some of the greatest frustration in your life, and it's driven by you setting an expectation. Can, can I just make a suggestion to you? If, if you find yourself always being let down, being disappointed, lower your expectation. Lower your expectation. You say, well, I shouldn't have to lower my standard. They should come on up to my world. Get ready to be disappointed and let down. 
lower your expectations because part of lowering your expectations is being patient with other people's weaknesses. That's why here at Connect, we're committed to creating a culture of honor where we celebrate who a person is rather than stumbling over who they're not. Where we celebrate where they're at right now in the present rather than tripping up on who we think they should be. That's a culture of honor. Lower your expectations. Be patient with one another's weaknesses. Colossians, go back to that verse. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You're sitting there going, okay, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that unless you're willing to forgive, you won't fully experience favor with God and man. You won't have love and truth written on the tablet of your heart. You won't have relational health and healing in your life. You won't receive forgiveness from God, and you certainly won't be an example to the world of what Christ-like love is supposed to look like. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, they're synonymous in God's sight. Christ-like love is expressed through total and complete forgiveness. Total and complete forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me quote. Have you made every effort? Make every effort effort. Do everything you know to bring unity. That requires humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Every, every person I know that has an unforgiving spirit has chosen to do that. Why? Because forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. It is a deliberate act of your will. You have to choose to forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, for, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other how, just as Christ God forgave you. You're sitting there today and you're thinking, if you knew what they had done to me, you'd understand. You, you may think it's impossible to forgive your unfaithful spouse. You, you may feel you can't forgive your abusive parent. You may feel you can't forgive what was done to your son or to your daughter. What, what about the person who lied about you? How, how about the person that actually believed the lie that was told about you? Unkind, unloving relatives, former friends who, who now are enemies. Okay. That's the foundation upon I want, what I want to build upon for the next several moments. Because now I'm thinking to myself, okay, I understand. I need to forgive. How do I know if I've forgiven? How do I know if I've forgiven? And I want to give you seven 
principles, seven truths that determine whether or not you have fully and completely forgiven. Number one, this is the practical side. You know, I'm going to frame it with scripture. It's going to be foundational. Now, here's the work. This is where it becomes work for you. Number one, how do you prove? How do you know if you've forgiven? Number one, you don't tell anyone what they said about you or did to you. That's an easy one. (laughs) Um, I have been studying the life of Joseph. Joseph, if you know anything about his life, had every justifiable reason to hold on and to harbor bitterness in his life. And yet he models for us what total and complete forgiveness is. Uh, If you don't know this story, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And then they went and told their father that he had been killed and hoped that he would just disappear. Years later, they end up standing before him as he's now the leader of a nation. Joseph models for us what complete forgiveness is. Genesis chapter 45 Look at what he does. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence, so that there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Joseph didn't want a single person in Egypt to know what his brothers had done to him. Anyone, anyone who truly forgives doesn't gossip about his or her offender talking about how wounded you are and the purpose of hurting you. Most of us don't talk about what happened for therapeutic reasons. Uh, Rather, we do that to keep our enemy from being admired and for us to look better. We would love for our offender to look bad. It's our way of getting even. First way that you know if you've really forgiven someone, you don't talk about what they did or said. True forgivers destroy the record that they might have used to vindicate themselves. The text, the email, the picture, the voicemail, you're holding on to it thinking, if I ever need to use that, I'll keep that. True forgivers destroy the record they might have used to vindicate themselves. Stop talking about the offense. Number two. We could stop right there, couldn't we? Six more. We're doing great. You guys are going to shout me down today, baby. Don't allow them to be afraid of you or intimidated by you. Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers with tears and compassion. The last thing he wanted was for them to fear him. When we have totally forgiven those who hurt us, Sometimes it gives us a bit of pleasure to realize that they're afraid or intimidated. We have some a, a control over them almost, knowing that at any moment we could ruin them and reveal what they, what they really did, the truth about who they really are. Genesis chapter 45, verse 3, look at Joseph. His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Why does he do this? Well, first, he didn't want them to be afraid. But secondly, he wanted to embrace them, which he does. Uh, we typically don't want the people who we haven't forgiven to come close to us. In fact, 
we could probably go the rest of our lives and never see them ever again. But Joseph says, no, no, come close to me. You know, if Joseph was anything like me, when he said, hey, come close to me, he would have said something like, how do you like my dream now? (laughs) I told you, I told you. Sheaves of wheat, sun, moon, I told you. How do you like that dream now, boys? No, no, no. Jesus, he models what Christ does for you and me. And he says, come close to me. What he could have said in that moment, but he, he didn't. He wanted to be loved rather than admired. Joseph didn't require them to feel a trace of fear or show them how sorry they were before he forgave them. Instead, he wanted them to feel his love. First John chapter 4. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Don't let them be afraid of you. I'll talk about it. Don't let them be afraid of you. Number three, don't let them feel guilty. This is a big one. Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Joseph says to his brothers, And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. What's he doing? He's giving them permission to forgive themselves. Um, he's not about to send them on a guilt trip. They, he knew they felt guilty enough already. They already, they already felt guilty enough. Um, have you ever um, guilted someone into an apology? How'd that feel? That feel good? You know, um, we kind of do this. I forgive you for what you did, but I still want you to feel bad. We love to punish people by making them feel guilty. Guilt is one of the most painful feelings, being reminded of your failure. Joseph wanted to set his brothers free. Um, Forgiveness is worthless to us emotionally if we can't forgive ourselves. Forgiving oneself means to experience the love that keeps no record of wrongs. Total forgiveness includes forgiving ourselves as well. Remember the second commandment? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Forgive your neighbor how you forgiven yourself. Jesus is hanging on the cross, insults being hurled at him. He's being spat upon. He's being brutalized both verbally and physically. And what's his response? Luke chapter 23. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Quite often, people do or say something that offends us or hurts us, and they don't even know that they've offended us. They don't even know the damage that they've done. They're not even aware. In fact, most people that we must forgive don't believe they have done anything wrong at all. If you told them that you forgave them, they wouldn't even know that there was something to be forgiven of. That's why I would never recommend that you randomly go up to the person that you've had to forgive and just tell them, I forgive you. Because more than likely, you know what the response is going to be? For what? Or if they do know that they did something wrong, they believe it was justified. They can justify it. And other times, they do consciously, knowingly hurt us either way. 
we are required as Christians to forgive them. This is going to set someone free this morning. This is why reconciliation is not always essential for total forgiveness. What you've been wanting is reconciliation, and what you need to do is forgive them in your heart because you're not responsible for them. Total forgiveness takes place in the heart. If I have a genuine heart experience, I won't be devastated if there's not reconciliation. Yeah, it's what we want, but it's up to me to forgive them from the heart and then keep quiet about it. You will never be able to fully forgive until you stop talking about it. Totally forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that we have to trust them or that we're going to do vacation with them or that we're going to do coffee. Nor does it mean closing our eyes to those who continue to harm others, but it does mean that we release the bitterness in our hearts concerning what they've done. And when you release them, you will be healed. Not wanting our our offenders to feel guilty or upset with themselves for what they did. This is total and complete forgiveness. It is a demonstration of Christ-like love and greater grace when we're fully aware of what occurred and we still choose to forgive. That is total forgiveness. Number four, let them save face. Boy, it's quiet. Let them save face. Genesis chapter 45. Listen to what Joseph says to his brothers. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it wasn't you who sent me here, but it was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of this entire household and ruler of Egypt. In essence, he's saying, you didn't do this to me, boys. God did. Joseph takes the spotlight off of his brothers and he redirects it, allowing them to save face. Saving face means you allow them to preserve their dignity, their self-esteem. It may also mean hiding the person's error from people so they can't be embarrassed. He didn't condemn them, didn't patronize them, wasn't condescending. You know, there's the real chance that when we point someone else's failure out, um, there's the real possibility that we can become self-righteous. May we never forget what we've been forgiven of. Remember, remember, recognizing that we have been forgiven of much allows us to love greatly. Love one another. When we see ourselves as we really are, we recognize we're capable of committing any sin just like anyone else. Let's not forget what we've been forgiven of. Number five, protect them from their darkest secret. Protect them. Joseph, being alive and revealing himself to his brothers meant one thing. His brothers were now going to have to tell their father what they had done. That the truth, they're going to have to go back and tell Jacob about the bloodstained coat that they had given him. But Joseph, look what Joseph does. He protects them by telling them what to say to their father. He instructs them word for word what to say to their father. He says, tell him that I'm alive and I'm well and that I've become the prime minister of Egypt. He tells them exactly what to say. He doesn't say, 
you know what? I want you to tell him everything you did. You tell him how you threw me in that pit. You, you tell him how you sold me into slavery and how you faked my, tell him everything you did. And that's not what he does. He says, go tell him that I'm alive and well, that God brought me to this place and I'm now leading a nation. Tell, tell dad that. Protect them. Number six, it is a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. Very simply, you're going to have to keep doing it for as long as you live. It isn't enough to forgive today and then return to the offense tomorrow. Total forgiveness is a life sentence. No one said this was going to be easy. Look at, look at Genesis chapter 50. This is 17 years after the fact. Look what his brothers are saying. What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all of the wrongs that we did to him? This is 17 years after the fact, friend. Look what Joseph, how he responds. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. This is the God that we serve that somehow, some way takes it all, the good, the bad, somehow, some way. Joseph says, don't be afraid. Here's what he's saying to them. I forgave you then. And I forgive you now. And I've been forgiving you. Once again, he sets them free. It's not total forgiveness unless it lasts. No matter how great the temptation is to turn back, you have to will yourself to keep on doing it over and over. You have to choose to keep forgiving. It's a choice. Finally, number seven, and you're thinking, thank God. We just get on with this, enough of this. I thought we were talking about loving one another. We are. Number seven, pray for them and bless them. You've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. Pray for God's blessing to rain down on their life legitimately, Pray for them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I tell you, this is Jesus talking here. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's also past and present. So it could also read, pray for those who have persecuted you. When you pray, pray for their success, their prosperity. And when you do that, you will set yourself free. When you, when you hear your own voice, pray blessing over them. You will set yourself free. Pray that they'll be blessed, that God will show them favor, that they'll prosper in every way. In other words, maybe I can say it this way. Pray that they will be dealt with as you want God to deal with you. Pray that way. Last scripture of the day. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I just want to let you know, you won't be able to control them. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you control you. 
live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. We say, I'm going to leave a lot of room for that, baby. A lot of room. Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We turn into like King James people all of a sudden. (laughs) If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. We like that part. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Pray for your enemy. The fastest way, the fastest way to taste the content of your heart is to hear your enemy complimented. You're standing in a circle. That person comes up in conversation and someone says something kind about him. What's your first thought? You don't know him like I know him. Oh, you know what they did to me? The fastest way to know the content of your heart is when you hear your enemy complimented and your first response. That's what's in your heart, friend. And Jesus said, unless you forgive them, I can't forgive you. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't make them feel afraid or guilty. Let them save face. Protect them. Make the commitment to forgive them forever. And pray and bless them. You want to learn how to love one another? Bear with one another. Be patient with their weaknesses and forgive them. Set them free and set yourself free. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 10.30 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.